The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's your host, Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity FM Radio. My name is Lonnie Vanderslice, and I am your host. Here on Spirit of Recovery, we talk about that place where spirituality and recovery meet and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. So this program is intended for and open to everyone, addicts, alcoholics, family members, friends, co-workers, loved ones, anyone whose life is touched by addiction. According to recent research, over 46% of the American public has a family member or friend that struggles with an addiction issue. Addiction touches so many lives, and we want to share the hope that is to be found in recovery. So our goal is to carry the message of spirituality and recovery by exploring the many faces of spirituality through the experiences of and lessons learned by those who have taken this journey. We hope that you will not only hear a few things you may already know, but also get some new ideas and information, new perspectives, and perhaps even some tips or tools that you can put to practical use in your own journey. And we know that you will deepen your spiritual walk as a result. So please tell your friends in your recovery circles about this show and invite them to join us online or by downloading the podcast later from the online library of over seven years of recovery-oriented radio shows. Podcasts are available through Stitcher, iTunes, Alexa, or on the web. Just search for Spirit of Recovery. So we want to say thank you to everybody who's joining us today. So this month, we're reflecting on this spiritual principle called Courage. The spiritual principle of courage is one of the tenets in the 12-step program under Step 4. And in this uh, show today, titled Bedevilments, The Solution, we explore the many ways that courage shows up in a faith walk of our guest, Barry V. He was propelled into that personal transformation known as recovery by challenging life circumstances and now has 41 years of recovery. Barry is a unity minister, a transitional ministry specialist, a peace worker, and an author. So we want to welcome our guest today, Barry V. Barry, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be on your program and to uh, continue, you know, to share my experience, strength, and hope. Um, that's always for forty-one years is cutting me by. So, thanks. Well, and we're looking forward to hearing about that. Um, you know, that phrase, challenging life circumstances, it reminds me of this paragraph in the recovery literature known as the bedevilments. And it reads that we're having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We're a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. You know, that characterizes, for me at least, an awful lot of, of early um Gee, I need to be in recovery for this kind of kind of uh, a space. And was this true for you? Well, well, sure it was. Um, you know, I was um, I had tried a, a lot of things to try to make my life work. I can <clears throat> I can remember that. You know, trouble started for me in junior high and in high school, and and you know I. And, you know, that, that, that feeling of, um, I, I don't know, the uselessness or the, or the just sense that I'm at odds with everything and everybody all the time, 
and it seems like everything I want to do is not what people think that I should do, and that kind of thing. So, so, so I can remember in the in the eleventh grade, I got my my dad agreed to let me quit school because I was having so much trouble with behavior and things going on in in high school. I could quit school if I agreed to join the Marine Corps. Wow! And so I did that. And so wow. I so I so I joined the Marine Corps, and I, on my seventeenth um, birthday, found myself, um, you know, getting off a train at at unit at Marine Corps boot camp, and I was in the Marine Corps for about five minutes, and I thought I had made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. And that kind of thing, and that kind of characterized most of my attempts um, prior to recovery to try to get things together. I, um, you know, at one point was um, had a pretty good job with a with a finance company, General Motors Acceptance Corporation, but I was getting in trouble with drinking, and and remember thinking to myself, you know, maybe if I got married and got a really good hunting dog, <laughs> maybe then I would not find myself having to go out and drink all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, and I tried that, and I got married, and, and she was a, was a good woman, got a good hunting dog. And seven years later, after, um, you know, alcoholism had just about destroyed the marriage, they just discovered that that wouldn't work. So the point of not being able to find anything that worked was really characteristic of my journey um, getting ready for recovery, my journey into the depths of alcoholism and drug addiction. So so did you have any kind of a childhood faith basis, um, you know, or anything to fall back on with, with this? Uh, any, any place you could turn for help? No, not really. Um, you know, I had uh, my early experiences was to grow up Catholic, and 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 what I got from the Catholic religion, and I've later learned, but that's not what everybody gets, because I've run into some wonderful spiritual people who are active practicing Catholics that didn't that didn't experience what I experienced from the Catholic religion. But very early on, um, you know, when I hit puberty and started thinking about sex and 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 began to um, realize that um, my relationship with God, based on what I thought it was supposed to be, according to what I interpreted the Catholic religion to tell me, um, that I was just just a uh, a sinner that couldn't get better, and that I was, um, you know, I just finally occurred to me that eternity in hell for one mortal sin on your soul is the same. As eternity in hell for a million, and I'm going down the million road. <laughs> so, so I and, I and there was just nothing that I could do to stop it. And I tried. I mean, I said Hail Marys during recess and did lots of things um, in an attempt to try to correct things that now, on reflection, I know couldn't even be corrected. But, mm-hmm. but, but mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, all things that I thought were sinful and uh, the degree of shame that I was accumulating from a, from a childhood um, up and through that time I felt to me like it was exacerbated by the by my religious upbringing upbringing so my relationship with God was not um, one that I thought I could count on because I was such a terrible person that God wouldn't help me you know kind of a thing and there was some evidence that I wasn't a very good person I mean some of the things I the behaviors that I was developing you know, or were not, um, or not would not be good, acceptable for me even to do today. You know, so so it it wasn't as if I was also behaving according with what I thought I was. You know, mm-hmm. so you had a belief system about yourself at that point. Yes. Yeah. I did that. I was uh, that I was just. Uh, I had a, a deep down sense of shame that had developed from early childhood. I had a lot to do. I grew up in an alcoholic family, and and I was a bedwetter and stuff like that at, at an early age. And, and one of the things that um, I think the strategy that 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 on reflection, my folks, my parents used. And I think they believed it was the right strategy. I don't think they did it because they were mean or, or un, un, you know, unnecessarily cruel or anything. But they used shame as they as what they felt to be the best way to change children. 
is you shame them and they'll no longer do the things that, that they feel ashamed about. Um, and so shame was a was a big part of my upbringing, particularly way you know when when I um, was in school and 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 that just continued on and I continued to develop evidence that I should be ashamed of myself from my perspective at that time, mm-hmm. you know. So so um, as I got to the point of of where alcoholism was just really I was you know. Um, suffering from severe depression, was hospitalized twice for suicide attempts and things like that. And just everything that I had tried, marriage, everything that I had tried, jobs, nothing would change um, what I was happening. And I really didn't, didn't under, I thought that, I didn't think alcoholism was a problem. Alcohol, alcohol was the answer, was the only time I ever felt good was after about, Three Scotch and Waters, you know, life looked a lot better than it did prior to Three Scotch and Waters, you know. So that was, you know, and then and then that turned out. Of course, I didn't just drink Three Scotch and Waters. You know, twenty would be more like it. <laughs> and yeah, I always said I can't count past three. <laughs> yeah, so that would have its effect. You know, I just often say I was um, afraid of women. You know, all of this, these issues around sexuality, I was terribly afraid of women. With three scotch and waters, my fear went away. Six mm-hmm. scotch and waters, I became obnoxious. So I had just this real short window of opportunity, you know, that alcohol brought me. <laughs> so I didn't, um, I didn't, you know, the, the, the experience uh, of alcohol, alcohol didn't seem to be uh, the problem. It seemed to be an answer that wasn't working very good. But it didn't really, alcoholism didn't seem to be the problem for me. And, and I eventually found that it was, and that recovery was, was a lot more than just not drinking. It was something more than that. So. so for a lot of people, well, for some people, it is the external um, aspects of their lives that, that, you know, become trashed that indicate they need to get into recovery. And perhaps somebody else asks them, you know, to, to do that. They get into treatment or they have an intervention or something. And for other people, it's an internal, as they say, pitiful demoralization. Um, what was, what was the turning point for you? Well, I think it was both. Um, you know, it was, it was number one. First of all, I had, um, I worked for a, a, a state organization, a veterans organization, a big veterans home in Iowa. It was about a 900 bed facility. And I did some public relation work for them. And, and this particular incident was, the, the veterans of foreign wars from the state of Iowa were coming to have a big meeting there, and I was supposed to speak at their meeting. And it was going to be like at 6.30 or 7 at night. Anyway, I got off work about 4, decided to go have a couple drinks and have dinner and then come back and do my thing. And it's, you know, as far as the VFW is concerned, it's okay to have a couple drinks. That's not a big deal. So I had a couple drinks, and then and then after two, I thought, you know, a guy could have four and still be, eat a big meal and be able to do that. And so I ordered, it was two first at the bar, two for with price and one. So I ordered a couple more and drank those. And after the fourth, I thought, you know, I really don't want to do this anyway and go give that talk. And, and I'm, you know, so, so I drank, I ordered two more and then called in and said I was too sick. Something happened. I got sick and couldn't come and give the talk and called off. Well, the problem is that I drank however many more, but by nine o'clock at night, I left the bar totally drunk and got in a car wreck and got thrown in jail by a policeman whose wife worked at that same place. Mm. So I was captured. And, and so that was the event. I called Alcoholics Anonymous the next day as a defense because I knew they were going to confront me, and I was going to say, I do, I, you know, I was smart enough to know, I'd say I'm doing something about my problem, and I called AA as a defense. And so that I could tell them, you know, that I'm doing this and, and, and went to my first AA meeting. And the thing that happened at my first AA meeting is I knew that this was never going to change, that this was close, that, that probably within a year I'd be passing out handbills in Denver, Colorado to get enough money to buy a bottle of wine, that I was going to lose all my jobs and was never going to be able to get one back that amounted to anything. And and I lost my wife by that time, and was living in a kind of a broken down um, mobile home, and and 
and that's just and this was just the the final step on the road down to to really disaster and i knew that and i knew no matter what i did if i drank again that was going to happen and there wasn't anything that was going to stop it because nothing all of my best efforts up to this point of time had never been able to turn my life around so it was a combination of of this the last event I did. It was going to cause me to lose my job because my boss was going to find out. And he warned me once before about drinking, or a couple times before, that if I kept that up, that kind of behavior, I would lose my job. I couldn't do the work I was doing in public relations, and then, and then the demoralization that I was just nothing I could ever do was ever going to work in my life. It just never was. And, that's that and I didn't want to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. I thought Alcoholics I was country club material, not AA material. <laughs> you know, So that isn't where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know anybody that says, gee, when I grow up, I want to be in a 12-step program. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, exactly. So, so, yeah. so you attended your first meeting. You identified with something or something spoke to you, and you knew you were where you needed to be. How did, how did it work for you from that point? Well, well, it 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 worked for me. I had a I had a a problem with the spiritual aspect of the program because of my I didn't resolve my issues around the idea of God, you know, with getting sober. So at about at a, I had basically agreed to the second and the third step, and the third step of turning my life and my will over to the care of God, but but had not really ever done it, and then went ahead and tried to do the inventory part of the program, the fourth and fifth step. And in doing the fourth and fifth step, all I really did was, for the first couple times I tried it, was, was really get in, in touch with the discomfort of the shame that was an essential part of my personality as, up until that time. Um, and 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 I didn't feel any sense because I because I was still deathly you know deeply afraid of whatever God there was and I hadn't resolved the issues about the concept of God that I had acquired as a child you know through through my growing up years and I didn't I hadn't resolved that and so I was unable to do a fourth step that brought me any relief. All I, all a fourth step did for me is just just get me to put in writing all of the crap that I thought made me such a terrible human being. I just now I wrote it all down, and that made it worse. Didn't make it better for me. And so I finally had to go back and redo the third step. And what I did was I had a, I had a mentor who told me um, that I should write down everything that I ever heard about God. Uh, good and bad, things the church had taught me, things I'd picked up every place. So I did all of that. I wrote down a list of, I don't know, maybe 30 or 40 different phrases and statements about about the nature of God, including God being a punishing God, including God being a loving God, and all those kinds of things. And then he told me that to that that I should eliminate all the ones that I, that scare me and that I don't believe in and that I don't want to believe in, and come up with a concept that if it were true, I could turn my life and my will over to it. And so I came up with a concept, and the concept was if God was a completely benevolent, loving presence in the universe that would never do anything to punish me and would only be present in ways that made me a better human being. That was the, was the only thing that would ever happen. Nothing about punishment or anything like that. If that were the case, if there were a presence like that in the universe, I could turn my life and my will over the care of it. And then I told my mentor, but the problem is I don't believe that that's true. I don't have any evidence of that, and I don't believe it. And he said, not a problem. He said, what you need to do and what we'll agree to do is if I'm going to be your sponsor is for the next six months, you're going to use that concept of God in all of your thinking and prayers and everything that you do in your mind um, about God. That's the concept you're going to use. And you're going to do this as a six-month experiment, not as if you have to believe that it's true. You're just going to act as if it is true and practice it for six months. It would be in unity what we call affirmations. Mm-hmm. So, 
I didn't know it was affirmative prayer at that time, but so every time I thought about God or prayed or did whatever I was going to do, I would think about God as a benevolent presence whose only 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 activity in my life would to make me a more successful human being, to have a better life. And and I continued to say that, and somewhere about three months, I stopped it as an experiment because somewhere inside, because I believe it is the truth, it registered as the truth. And then, at that point, I was able to go back and do a fourth and fifth step, not from the idea of how this, how, how ashamed I was and what a terrible person I was, but I did it from the perspective of this is how God is supporting me, that I'm going to be free of, of the self-centered fears and all of the negativity that have dominated my life, the shame the fear, all of that kind of stuff. This is the journey to freedom, is by doing this inventory and looking at that because there is this presence, divine presence of life and love that is 100% supporting me and having the best experience of life I could have. And so there's no fear of writing this all down or sharing it with another human being. And it's when I finally got the real, understood the real meaning of the fourth step, which is to take a fearless and thorough moral inventory of yourself. Fearless. And that, that finally made sense to me that I couldn't do that unless I had had some kind of experience of, of this presence of God as being a benevolent force working in my behalf. So that's kind and of so- what I want. So how long into your recovery was that? I mean, some people seem to get that right away, and others it takes sometimes years. Yeah, it was probably somewhere around four or five years into my recovery because I had tried. I had tried to do the fourth and fifth step earlier, like I told you, but without having resolved the issues around God. And and um, I actually had gotten into the ninth step. I remember I was actually trying to make some amends. And... Um, and and it was it was not going well at all, um, and and that and finally that's when I had to go back and see what was going on, and that's when I had a I had a mentor, my first sponsor did not have any he didn't grow up religious at all he grew up in a ranch in in western Nebraska and they never talked about God or went to church or did anything when he was a child so he didn't have very much trouble. Um, developing uh, a spiritual kind of awareness, you know. But I had all of this bad information, and so he made me get another sponsor who had also had a real strict religious upbringing that involved a lot of shame. And it was that new sponsor that helped me do this. So this was about somewhere between the fourth and fifth year of my recovery that I did that 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 fourth and fifth step that really was life transforming. It just made all the difference in the world. So is that the rocketed into the fourth dimension that they talk about? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. And and it made it possible for me then to really look at and um, really change most of the... um, the experiences I had, but I had some other experiences. I was probably I was nine years sober, and um, and I was uh, I had actually by the end of the nine years, somewhere around my, in my ninth year, I had pretty much completed my amends. It took me um, about four years to do it to pay back all the money and to find the people and make all these direct amends um, that the book talks us. So I so I did that. I had a lot of people. So I did that, and just about that point in time, my dad had, um, who lived down in California, had wanted me to come out, and he had built a big, big commercial fishing boat, and wanted me to go fishing with him. And he said, uh, you know, the he was gonna, the boat was gonna be mine when he got old enough where he couldn't fish anymore. I would, I would inherit the boat from him and things like that. Well, I went out and did that, and that didn't work out very well. Um, it didn't work out well at all. It was the was the year of the El Nino current. It was the worst fishing year, commercial fishing year, off the coast of California in the Pacific Ocean. So we didn't do well. And I ended up coming back to Iowa, where I was, and 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 um, came back to Iowa while the farm crisis was going on, and there weren't any jobs. 
So I got back to Iowa in, in early fall and couldn't get a job, was getting food stamps. And this is, I'm, I'm nine years sober, and I'm well into um, where the promises are supposed to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. Where you're supposed to have all these good things happening to you. And, and I was broke um, getting food stamps. I'd never got food stamps when I was drinking. So I'm sober now and have to get food stamps. I applied for a job at Pizza Hut and didn't get it. I mean, things were not going well for me. And my sponsor, had he had his sponsor who was from California, was coming over Christmas. And, and he said, you should tell him your story, your woe story of woe. So I told him about how, you know, I'm nine years sober, made all my amends, paid all this money back, and then went on this thing with my dad and lost all my savings in that process and and got back and unemployed. Things are really going bad. And, and, and then my sponsor, this mentor, this new guy, says, how would you like to take the card that life has dealt you and put it back in the deck with all of the cards other people, other human beings get, and pull out another one and see what you get. And I'm thinking to myself, there's a whole bunch of bad cards in the deck. <laughs> I know that, a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so I said, no, I guess not. And he said, good choice, because given the circumstances you're currently in, you're in the top 20% of, of human beings in this world in terms of personal wealth. You have your own car, TV set, refrigerator, more than two changes of clothes, indoor hot water, running water, all of these things. You're better off than most of the people, you know, the vast majority of people in the world. And you're feeling sorry for yourself. And here you are, this fortunate human being who is free from alcoholism now, not drinking, and you're one of the one of the more wealthy people in the world, given the current circumstances you're in, and you're feeling sorry for yourself. And then he told me that that self pity is a strategy that works when you're a baby. If you scream loud enough, you feel bad enough about yourself, somebody will stick a bottle in your mouth or change your diaper or do whatever you want. It really works, and it is an effective strategy, and it's what you should do when you're a baby. But you're supposed to grow out of it. And he said, you haven't. <laughs> you still think it works, and it doesn't. And I went home and prayed about that and thought about um, about that about the idea that it doesn't work and it hasn't worked for a long time, and I began to see how it's never going to work. And I made a decision at that point in time that I think I'm going to stop that. It just doesn't work, no matter what is happening. If I feel sorry for myself and get caught up in all that self-pity, it wouldn't work. And I did. And I st- and basically, I just had a, a aha moment, and I thought, I don't need to do this anymore. And I stopped doing it. And then I didn't stop doing it, but, but I would feel sorry for myself six months at a time. I narrowed it down to maybe an hour at a time now, you know, and then I would let it go. And, and Progress. And I'm, yeah, exactly. And then on retrospect, I see that I probably never could have gotten where I am today in this 40 years of being sober um, had I not had that experience of, of having the, the, the experience that caused me to let go of the belief that self-pity was a good idea. I needed that in order to do that. So, so that that has been a big part of my of my journey, is going through that time, where in retrospect I would have never let go. I would have continued to feel. You know, I when I went home and prayed about it, I thought, you know, if I won the lottery, I would probably feel sorry for myself because people like me for my money. <laughs> I would figure out a reason to feel sorry for myself. Because it had, and I hadn't realized it, but it really was a strategy that I thought worked, that complaining worked, you know. So so I see in uh, the way that my own sobriety has evolved and some of the real challenges that I've had during that time, once I really understand them from a spiritual perspective, they were really what I needed in order to let go of ideas and attitudes and beliefs that were totally limiting my life, and I didn't know it. Right, right. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes. A complete rearrangement. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we're going to need to go to a break here in a minute. Sure. And so... um 
when we come back from that break, I want you to kind of hold that thought where you're just sitting on the nine years. You've just had this experience and you're, you're getting ready to move into a new way of being with this change of ideas. And then we'll, we'll start up at that point. So when we come back, we'll start with a serenity minute, which is just a brief moment to focus on a positive thought. And then at that point, we'll continue with our conversation. So please stay with us. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. truly understand the laws of the universe and live a life based on these profound and unwavering truths, then your dream life starts today. No more waiting, no more wandering. If you're ready to let go of the striving and move into the allowing, you're ready for everyday attraction on Unity Online Radio. We study the teaching of Abraham given to us by beautiful Esther Hicks so we can release confusion for clarity, exchange struggle for serenity, and have the time of our lives today. Join host Ray Zander every Friday at noon Central Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Unity Online Radio for Everyday Attraction, where the law of attraction gets real. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're so glad that you're with us. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, your host, and our guest today is Reverend Barry Bernard. So before we continue our conversation, please join me as we take just a few moments to center ourselves in a serenity minute. We're just going to take a minute to relax. And focus on a constructive idea. Allow our minds to rest, be opened, and refreshed. And so our idea for today is the power of courage. I can transform my life. So let's just take a few moments and center on that idea. So thank you for joining me in this Serenity Minute. So as we resume our conversation, Barry, before the break, you had just finished sharing about this aha moment you had at nine years, realizing that you still had a survival skill set that wasn't working for you, and that was um, self-pity. Right. What happened after that? Well, I well, I think things started to change, and my life started to take um, different directions. I was still um, still probably um, suffering from depression a lot, uh, and I um, was was continuing um, to uh, to do things and kind of move my life forward. I had some gone back to school and gotten some some more education in graphic design. I was interested in that. I ended up out in. Um, California, and doing uh, as a designer for a big sign company out there, and I was um, 
doing that and going to AA out there, and that's that's kind of where I got exposed to unity. I had a there was a a woman in a in an AA group that I'd kind of gotten to be kind of friends with and started to get to know and was kind of interested in, and 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 I had been in that time reading a lot of spiritual books and doing a lot of research and just exploring spiritual ideas. Um, and and she said, you talk a lot like they do in Unity. You should go to Unity. And uh, and I thought to myself, huh, well, I've never heard of Unity. I don't know what that's about. And she said, yeah, you should go there. there there's a Unity church in El Cajon, and that's where I live, not very far from where I lived. And she said, why don't you go there? And she told me where it was and everything, and I agreed I would go there one Sunday. And I went went to 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 go on the Sunday and got there and just about drove in the parking lot, and I saw it said Christ Unity Church. And I thought to myself, well, I don't do that anymore. So um, so I didn't go. And then she asked me if I went, and I said no. And she said, well, will you go with me one Sunday if I take, take you there, go with you? And I'm thinking to myself, she's pretty good looking, and I can put up with anything for an hour, you know, so... So I said I would go, and I went there and and heard something, heard something about the idea of the presence of God being the essence of our being, and that all of the ideas and attitudes and beliefs that I had that were that were that were um, were grounded in in shame and defectiveness and all of those were all not true. There, were, there was evidence that that I did things that was shameful, and, and evidence that uh, that I behaved in ways that appeared to be defective. But all of that was basically a, a false idea, attitude, and belief about the essence of my being. The essence of my being was not that. It was it was essentially good, and that no matter what the evidence of my life said, I was still inherently a child of God, and inherently good. And what I needed to do in my life was to resolve those issues that were incongruent with that truth, that the presence of God was the essence of my being, and the essence of my being was inherently good. I need to resolve all ideas, attitudes, and beliefs, and behaviors that were incongruent with that truth. And that was my journey. And 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 that's what I that's what I began to do, and I began to affirm that that was the truth. And my first experience when I, when I went with her to that church, and the, the you know the, the one of the first things that went off in my head was, "You're going to be a unity minister someday." And I'm thinking to myself, "I doubt that." <laughs> I say the F word way too much for me to ever be a minister, kind of a thing like that, you know. Uh-huh. And but but eventually I got I eventually I went back to Iowa and opened my own business back to where I'd been from and left California went back there opened my own business got involved in the Unitarian Church and and did a class in the Unitarian Church and wrote a paper and the minister asked me to give the paper on a Sunday morning and I did and and that Sunday morning and this was probably about four years after my first experience in the Unity Church in California, I that Sunday morning I made the decision that I was going to sell my business and and pursue ordination, but it was not going to be Unitarian, it's going to be Unity, and, and I did that, and that's what I've been doing ever since. So it changed my life, and and then um, then eventually I did a, started to do some research, and, and just in the... In, in in developing my awareness and knowledge of unity principles and, and particularly the 12 powers of unity. I wrote a book called Stepping Through the Narrow Gate, and it's the 12 steps um, based on also the 12 powers of unity, the 12 principles or, or faculties of mind of unity. So it puts those two together in a way that um, that has worked and that I've taught and that a lot of people have used as effective ways to to help them, support them through the steps of recovery and through the steps. And basically the idea being that, that these principal 12 steps or principles of recovery are really spirit, principles of spiritual awakening. And that right. it is that it is spiritual awakening um, that has reduced 
um, the insanity of alcoholism for me. It isn't. It isn't something made me stop wanting to drink. It is that that I became, um, to a degree, through through a combination of, of recovery program and of unity, I became spiritually awake more than I had ever been before. And the result was is I've not had to deal with a craving for drinking alcohol or using drugs for 41 years. So, so you you left California at what 12 years or so. Yeah, maybe somewhere between 12 and 14 years. Yeah. Okay. So you were still active in a 12-step program at that point. Uh-huh. And you, land, yes. you landed in in Iowa and also landed in a Unitarian church. Were you still active in a 12-step program at that point? Was there overlap? Absolutely. Yep. Yes, there was. Yeah. Yeah. And the, so how did the unity principles augment what you were learning or had learned in the 12 steps or were you stuck? Well, what had happened in the twelve steps is, 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 you know what what I think what I got out of the twelve step program to the degree that I was, you know, I'm able to get anything out of it was that I was a bad person and God loved me anyway, and okay. and no matter how bad I was, there was a God who was going to help me in recovery that I wasn't going to have to destroy my life and, and cause so much suffering for other people through active addiction, alcoholism and stuff like that. But, 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 and, and that this God didn't make any difference how bad I was. So that's, that's kind of what I got. And that was a, a degree of forgiveness, self-forgiveness and the degree of, of truth, but only a degree. It wasn't the end because, because it left me still, um, with a state of depression and and that kind of thing. What happened with unity principles is I began to to have this growing awareness that um, that that inherently I wasn't a bad person. What I had done is taken on some of the elements of human nature. Um, that don't work very well for human beings, and I'd inherited those. And 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 they and the the result of inheriting those ideas and attitudes and beliefs that didn't work, as a result of inheriting them, um, I was having these experiences that I was having, and I thought they weren't really who I was. So I associated all that negativity with I identified with it as being me. And this is what unity had done for me: is it it, is it, it it got me thinking that that's not me; that's just who I think is me. And the mm-hmm. thinking might be defective; that might be something wrong with my thinking. And I began to affirm and meditate and do some of the spiritual practices that that people told me would help me get inside with the truth inside of, that existed inside of me. And and I think that that's what happened. As more and more I got got engaged in this and got um, and was awakened to this truth inside of me, and then and then out of that came came the book that I wrote, and out of it came a concept that I teach now in all of the classes I do classes on on spiritual intelligence and classes on um, on the Enneagram personality types. All of them have have a foundational. Um, concept to them, and that concept is is that all human beings share one universal purpose of life, of being human, and that purpose is is stated as follows: is that is that every human being has taken on aspects of human nature as it presently exists for the purpose of first accepting and then transforming that nature, moving themselves and all of humanity forward on the evolutionary journey to conscious union with God. So every human being has done that. And so I began to put um, my experiences of growing up in, a, in an alcoholic family with shame and with all of that kind of stuff, as that's just how I took on my job description. Because my job description in life is to have taken on alcoholism and addiction and all of those things, not so that I could 
cause suffering for myself and others from that, but so that I could um, be actively engaged in the recovery of them and the ongoing awakening of more and more human beings to the real truth of who we are as being um, divine um, children of God or divine expressions of, of creative life and love of the, the very essence of the universe. And, and the, the job description perspective about each of us has taken on aspects of human nature. And there are elements of human nature that need to be transformed and um, and transcended and but but it's okay for us to have taken them on because we're supposed to because that's how we move ourselves and humanity forward on this evolutionary journey and so that's that was the really the real big change in my life and that led me to writing the book and and doing a lot of research and led me to my con- current current work as a unity minister and particularly as a transitional ministry Specialist, because I work a lot with churches that have had conflict and, mm-hmm. and have had a lot of um, kind of chaos and confusion in their in their organizational experiences. Do you still work with people that are working their way through these issues? Uh huh. Sure, I do. Okay. Yeah, I do quite a bit, and and a lot of the people attend some of my classes. I do some personal counseling and and support for people, and and particularly and and usually in every ministry I go, I usually teach my book, and I see. and the, you, you know and, and the and the twelve steps in my book that are really about um, the idea that um, that there will be experiences if we if we have taken on elements of human nature, some of which don't work very well. The ideas and attitudes and beliefs that human beings inherit, there's a significant number of them that are not very good. They cause right. suffering. Right. And if so, if I talk to people, if you've taken some of those on, you're experiencing suffering. That's probably the, that's probably why um, I'm here to help you. Um, to figure out what they are, how to accept them, and then how to move beyond them. And so I so, work with people in that way. So which of the principles of, you mentioned the 12 powers, and I, I really like the 12 powers myself. They were they were transformative in my life as well. Um, which Which of those do you feel is the, I don't know, was most helpful for you when you got an understanding of it? Well, I, well, I, I see it all as a process, like, the, like the, 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 I, the, the process that I teach and support people in has four elements to it. The first element is the basic element, and, the, and they are the, what I call the first three foundational faculties of mind, which are life, love, and faith. Life being um, this unfolding story, which has within it the carryover of some of the negative ideas and attitudes and beliefs that aren't necessarily working for human beings anymore, but were part of earlier stages of the evolution of life. So we have some of those, a lot of the fear that's associated with life, with physical life and the ego. There's a lot of fear associated with it. Um, on, with part of that foundation is the presence of love, that that becomes the answer. We begin, we begin to awaken to the truth that we're meant to, to love, not to, be afraid, not to be afraid. And that's the truth. Whether we're having that experience or not, it's still the truth. It's just like the sun is still shining even if it's night, but the sun is still shining. So the truth is, is we are made for love, and, and whether we're having that experience is kind of up to us, but we're still made for it. It doesn't change the truth. And then to have faith in that truth. So life, love, and faith are the first part of it. This is this is this sets up the basis by which a person can go forward, and then that's the basis by which a person can believe in a, in a God that is the presence of love and open them up to be not afraid to look at their past. Mm-hmm. So the so the next three are are um, are understanding, wisdom, and renunciation. So understanding is actually right in the fourth step. The inventory is saying, "Here is how I here is how I understand that I acquired these ideas and attitudes and beliefs." Mm-hmm. And in the context of understanding it, I gain some wisdom to understand that I'm not a victim. I'm not a victim of my alcoholic mother. What I am is a participant because she inherited some too and didn't have the resources 
to transform them that I do. And I began to understand our relationship as me not being a victim of somebody so much as this is the process by which I've taken on um, human nature as a present exists. So that's the wisdom. And then the renunciation is there are some of these ideas and attitudes and beliefs that really don't work. They cause suffering for me and they cause suffering for other people. And I want to let those go. So the first one is life, love, and faith is a foundation. Second one is understanding wisdom and renunciation, and that's the internal work that I do for myself. And then the external work is the next three steps, which are our will, order, and passion. And these are how these ideas and attitudes and beliefs have affected other people how they affected the outer working of my life. So it is in that context that I make a list of all the people that have, that have caused suffering along with me from the ideas and attitudes and beliefs that I brought, um, that I inherited, and, and, and how I tried to establish an order in my life to make my life work using these ideas and how that really didn't work very well at that time and then so and and how i try to impose my will on life in order to make it work the way that i thought it should work and then and then and then passion is how i go out now and in in this process i am becoming who i have meant to be i am becoming the christ i am becoming a human being awakened to the presence of god as the essence of his being and in that context have the capacity now to reduce suffering and create good in the world. That's what my passion is becoming. I have, despite all of the evidence that has been in the past, am now able to be God's way of reducing suffering and increasing good in the world. And as I go out and make amends and help people to understand, uh, get another higher understanding of the experience that we had together that was that was characterized by suffering. As I go out and undo those, and not undo them, but add another chapter to the story. And that chapter is one of the presence of divine love and do that. And so so that's so that's the that's the third part. The the first part is the foundation, second is my inner work, third is the outer work and the outer experiences of my life, and then fourth one is strength, imagination and power, in which now I have the capacity to live these principles regardless of the circumstances and that takes some strength and then my imagination is fired. This is what it can mean when this creative presence of divine life and love is, is actively engaged in my heart and in my head in creating the life, um, that, the way life is supposed to be, and then with affirmative prayer and with my capacity to, to communicate and engage with others, I have the power to actually bring this about, to actually be a change agent of transformation in the world. So that's what the book is about. And that's what the 12 steps is about. And the result of that is I'm not interested in drinking alcohol anymore. <laughs> you know, and you have drugs. a wonderful life. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so the name of your book is Stepping Through the Narrow Gate. Yeah. And it's Personal a, it's Transformation through this. Amazon, yeah. is that correct? Yeah, it is. Uh-huh. Okay, so stepping through the narrow gate. So it it sounds like a wonderful summary. Um, and actually, I have just received my copy in the mail, so I'm going to be be checking that out um, because that's a unique perspective on these these principles that um, sounds immensely useful. So out of all of this, what is what is how would you summarize something you want our audience to remember from today? Well. I think um, I, I think the the bottom line. Well, I, one of the things that I talk about a lot is that that a lot of people, particularly people who have who addiction has worked for them, meaning it's given them some relief. That's what addiction does: is it, it gives us some relief from the ideas and attitudes and beliefs that we have taken on, that we either inherited through family circumstances or culture or genetics or whatever. I mean, it can come, and it's usually a combination of all of those things. But, um, but, but the, what I tell people is, is those ideas and attitudes and beliefs will cause conflict in the inner conflict with the truth. 
And the truth being is that every human being is an expression of divine life and love and is inherently good and inherently meant to be in this world in ways that create truth, beauty, and goodness in the experience of life, in all of our activities of life. That's what we're meant to do. But we have something inside of us, many of us, um, who inherited these negative ideas and attitudes and beliefs, and they create a conflict. And what I tell people is is that conflict is not going to go away on be, for one reason that it's not going to go away is this presence of God as the truth of your being, that your essence is divine love, that's never going to go away. You can't get rid of it. It is in you, and it is there for good. So if you have ideas and attitudes and beliefs that are incongruent with that and are causing you and other people suffering, the only way to get over that war, that inner conflict, is to deal with those ideas, attitudes, and beliefs. And a way to deal with them is to understand that you inherit them as part of your spiritual job description. You're inherited them first to accept them and say, okay, that's where humanity is, and and I can love myself and love humanity even with all of these. But we're not supposed to stay that way. We're supposed to transform and transcend them. So so that's what I tell people. If, if there's inner conflict and, and bedevilments going on with you, it's it's it, the, the only way that they're ever going to go away is you discover the ideas and attitudes and beliefs inside of you that are not congruent with the truth of who you are. Well, you have shared a wonderful set of tools with us today, and I really appreciate the fact that you're willing to share your story and how these worked for you and the way that you use them today. And we're just about out of time. So thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a a pleasure and an honor. I've enjoyed it, Lonnie. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, listeners, too. And if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and share any thoughts or feedback with us. And so we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. Have a wonderful, blessed week. Thank you. Guidance and direction are bubbling up from your soul all the time, even at night. But do you hear your soul when it calls? Do you recognize it? Do you trust it? Can you trust it? How can you be certain you are hearing the voice of your precious soul? Janet Connor teaches five wisdom habits that help you hear your soul, recognize and trust its guidance and begin to take action to create a truly beautiful life. Learn the wisdom habit of divine dialogue in Writing Down Your Soul. How to live a life of integrity in Soul Vows. And discover your soul's unique purpose in Check the Box. If you long to create a soul-directed life, visit JanetConnor.com and explore all five courses in her signature series, Your Soul Wants Five Things. The benefits of spiritually conscious living start now. For a time-tested method to live with purpose and release your infinite potential, tune in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. the saying a good deed is its own reward well moving toward a plant-based diet and vegan lifestyle is one kind and compassionate act that isn't just its own reward it will also reward you with vibrant health boundless energy an easy way to keep your weight where you want it and according to yogis and unity's co-founder charles fillmore even give a boost to your spiritual life on main street vegan the radio program named for the popular book Victoria Moran will make your move in a vegan direction easy, fun, affordable, and delicious. 
with enticing topics and entertaining guests every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes when we think we love someone, we're actually loving what we think the other person may be able to give us. Love at its highest level demands nothing in return. Love is much more than an emotion. It is an inner quality that sees good everywhere and in everybody. It insists that all is good, and by refusing to see anything but good, it tends to cause that quality to appear uppermost in itself and in other things. Ask yourself, what kind of love am I radiating? Do I love with no concern about what I'll receive in return? Make the choice to love unconditionally, purely for the sake of loving. You'll become a healing, harmonizing influence on everyone and everything in your world. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. What is it you really want in life, no matter what you've been through? you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation, and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.